Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. Uh, I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. We are kicking off this new series that we're calling uh, This Changes Everything as we kind of count down to Easter next week, which I can't even believe Easter is already here. I never know when Easter is going to come. We were talking about how they calculate. I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's next week, which is exciting. And so what we're going to be doing in this very short series, it's just a two-weeker, we're going to be looking at two events, two moments at the end of Jesus' ministry that changed the way that his followers would understand God and the world and themselves, the way that they would understand history, the past, and the future. It literally changed everything. What I want to do today is I want to take a look at one of the most important conversations that Jesus had in his entire ministry. To do that, we have to examine the Lord's Supper. Now, you're familiar with this painting. It's by the famous Leonardo da Vinci, where he memorialized the time that Jesus asked for a table for 26, because everybody wants to sit on the same side. And, and so during this meal, somewhere towards the middle, Jesus would say something that would bring all of human history together. It would upend thousands, literally thousands of years of, of Jewish tradition. It would bring to a close a long-standing covenant or an agreement between God and the Jewish people. And it would launch a brand new covenant with just a few short words, as you're going to see for yourself, Jesus changed everything. Now, at the end of the service, we're going to be taking communion. You probably figured that out as you walked in and grabbed a cup. And if you didn't grab a cup, not a problem. We'll do a little pass around job at the end. Um, but before we get there to communion, I want to tell you an incredible story about how communion came to be. To do that, we first have to talk about Passover. Now, if you're Jewish in the room, you know Passover. If, you, if, if you're not Jewish, you might not know, but you've heard about it. But it's important that we understand this holiday if we understand what's going to happen at that Last Supper. So Passover, at kind of a macro level, is a celebration of when God liberated the Hebrews or the Jewish folks from slavery in Egypt. Let me tell you this story. 1,500 years before Jesus was born, the Hebrews were in slavery in Egypt. And they had been slaves at this point for 450 years. Now, God, when the timing was right, tapped on a guy named Moses' shoulder and said, hey, I need you to be the go-between. I need you to go to Pharaoh, who is the ruler of Egypt, and I need you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, Moses was a little bit hesitant about this at first, but he finally went. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he goes, hey, Pharaoh, um, my God, not your God, but my God uh, wants you to release all of your slaves. They're kind of making everything run. He wants you to release all of them. And Pharaoh says, oh, okay, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> We're not, we're not going to do that. And so I think that kind of caught Moses off guard. So he goes back to God and says, well, he said, no, what do you want to do? God said, all right, not a problem. We're just going to have to grease the wheels a little bit, so to speak. And so God began sending plagues into that country to force the hand of Pharaoh. But nothing worked. Plague after plague after plague. And Pharaoh was not relenting. Finally, God said, all right, I didn't think it was going to get to this, but we got to go to what I'm going to call the nuclear option. Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh, and he goes, all right, he, here's, here's what's going to happen. If you don't release the Hebrew slaves, God promises to kill 
the firstborn son of every family in Egypt, from the Pharaoh's house down to the slave's house. Now, if you're Jewish, that's a little scary because you live there too. But God had this covered, and this is where the term Passover comes from. He goes to Moses and he goes, here's what I want you to do. Go to your Jew friends and say, hey, I want you to slaughter a lamb. Then take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames in your houses where the lambs are being eaten. And then that night as I enter into Egypt to carry out this final plague, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and will not harm you when I punish the Egyptians. Needless to say, this plague worked. Pharaoh kicked them out. They, they, they were released. They, they ran off into the desert. And for the first time in 450 years, the Jewish people were free. Moses, as I said, led them out into the wilderness. And it was there that God formalized a covenant or an agreement with them where he would be their God and they would be their people. And every single year since that fateful day, Jews would celebrate Passover, remembering when God saved them from Egypt and inaugurated this covenant. That's Passover. That was the holiday that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating at that last supper. Andrew, can you turn me down just like a little bit? So with that in mind, let's just kind of jump into the story for the day. On the first day of Passover, the day the lambs were sacrificed, his disciples asked him, that's Jesus, where he wanted to go to eat the traditional Passover supper. In other words, Jesus, it's your turn to pick where we're going out to dinner, okay? Like last year, Peter picked. He wanted to go to Benihana. Now, Jesus, you get to decide where we're going to do Passover. Now, watch how Jesus answers this. It is very unusual. He begins by giving them instructions. It says, so Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, theologians you read commentaries, they scratch their head at this section. They don't, they don't know if Jesus is somehow seeing into the future, like you're going to walk there, and then you're going to see a guy, or if Jesus is somehow orchestrating this meetup behind the scenes, divinely, so to speak. What we do know is that it was very unusual for a man at this point in history to be carrying the pitchers of water. We've done sermons about this before, but at this time, this was the woman's job. This is what they did, historically, culturally. And so this would have been a special sign at the very least for the disciples to see. Follow this guy, Jesus says. Now, at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should go and prepare our meal. So cryptic in my opinion. I mean, and I love that though. It's just so strange. They asked Jesus, where do you want to go celebrate this dinner? And Jesus doesn't say, you know, we're going to go to Bennigan's. Or he doesn't say, I want to go to Martha and Mary's house where they've met before. It appears, based on what's written, that he's being purposefully secretive about the dinner location. Why? Well, theologians believe he's doing this to prevent Judas from betraying him too soon. Jesus knows what Judas is up to. He knows what's coming down the line. He knows he's gunning for him. But it seems like Jesus needs just a little bit more time 
to have one final conversation with his disciples. That's the conversation I want to show you. So the disciples follow his instructions. It says the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said and prepared the Passover meal there. Night falls. Jesus, his disciples, they all show up to this upper room and they sit down and they begin to have the Passover dinner or the Last Supper as we all know it. Matthew picks up the story for today. It says this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples. Matthew here has dropped us right into the middle of a Passover celebration. At this point, this Passover celebration has been done for 1,500 years, and it is a highly structured occasion. I actually printed off a Passover Seder dinner script. Okay, This is, this is what um, Jewish folks would use now to have a Passover. It is 19 pages long. Okay, There are sp- specific readings that must be done throughout the evening at specific times. There are certain foods that must be consumed at certain times. There are questions that must be asked at certain times. And they give you the answers that you're supposed to say to those questions at certain times. Everybody's got a script. Everyone knows what's to be said and what's to be done. Okay, at this, they, They've been doing it their whole lives. So according to the script, Jesus, who is the host of this dinner, breaks the bread. He passes it. But then he flips the script on them by saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. To which Peter, at the end of the table, goes, I'm sorry, what was that? It sounded like, and it's a little loud in here, and I'm at the end of the table, but it sounded like you just said to eat your body. Jesus, first of all, that's not in the script. Second of all, gross. That's strange. But so Jesus didn't even hear that because they didn't really say that. He says, take this bread, eat it, and do this in remembrance of, to which the disciples would say, well, Jesus, we don't need you to tell us what this is in remembrance of. We, we've been doing this our whole lives. We've been doing this since we've been little boys. The Jews have been eating this bread for 1,500 years in remembrance of God liberating them from slavery, in remembrance of the covenant between God and the Jews. That's what they expected Jesus to say. That's what the script called for. That's what's been said for 1,500 years. But out of nowhere, with no warning, Jesus looks at them and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you're a Christian in the room, and I know many of you are, it's difficult for us to understand how disruptive and offensive this actually was. I mean, we've heard this in connection with communion for so long, we don't even think about it. I'm actually surprised that some of the disciples didn't get up and leave. Honestly, it's like, Jesus, there's only so much that we can take. The closest analogy that I can give you as to what's going on here would be like this. Let's fast forward in time, right? Let's, it's now the Christmas season, okay? And I go to you guys and I go, okay, uh, December 25th is next week. Normally, we would you know, be celebrating Jesus' birthday. Um, but this year and every year moving forward, we're going to celebrate my birthday. You're still going to buy presents, and you're going to still decorate a tree, but you're going to start putting pictures of like me up, and you're going to talk about my birth, and you're going to talk about my accomplishments, which are very few, so that won't take you long. So, but that's really what Jesus has done here. 
he has completely hijacked the meaning of one of the most important Jewish holidays. But the night continues. Awkwardly, I have to imagine. It says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Now, according to the Passover script, there are four cups of wine that must be consumed over the course of the evening, and they must be consumed in full at certain times in the meal. There is the cup of sanctification. There is the cup of deliverance. There is the cup of praise. And based on the fact that this was the cup consumed after supper, we know it's the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. And according to the script, this cup is tied back to a specific promise in the Passover story, where God says, I will rescue you with an outstretched arm. And so for 1,500 years, when they would drink this cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption, they would reflect on how God redeemed them from slavery, how he rescued them with an outstretched arm. Now, maybe this is like the English major in me, but I got to be honest with you, it's difficult for me to miss the symbolism of this and how in just a, a few short hours, Jesus would die on a cross with his arms outstretched for our redemption. And so Jesus holds up that cup of redemption and he says to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant. And that was definitely not in the script. You gotta remember, a massive part of celebrating Passover is reflecting on how God created the covenant with the Jewish people. But Jesus does not say this is the cup of the covenant. He says new covenant. And that, changes everything. You see, when God first created the covenant with the Jewish folks 1,500 years earlier, it was always supposed to be temporary in nature. Moses, who was there for it, when it was signed, sealed, delivered, inaugurated, he always anticipated that there would be a new covenant coming down the line. The great prophet Jeremiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied that a time would come when God would replace the current covenant with a new one. Let me show you his exact words. It says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It's not going to be like the old covenant at all with all the rules and the regulations that are almost impossible to follow. It's not going to require the sacrifice of animals for the forgiveness of sins. It won't be like the laws that were written on stone tablets. Rather, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. In other words, the new covenant is going to be personal. It's going to be intimate. It's going to be Jesus. And he will be in your hearts, and he will be in your minds, and God's spirit will live inside of us. So Jesus holds up the cup of redemption and he says, this is the new covenant. For whenever you drink this cup moving forward, it now represents the new covenant between God and mankind. And whereas the old covenant was sealed by Moses in animal's blood, I seal the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out to which I have to imagine the disciples would go, pour it out. Jesus, you're completely healthy. 
I mean, you're standing right in front of us. What are you talking about? Blood being poured out. But in just a few short hours, they would see Jesus' blood poured out with their own eyes. That night, all over the city, Jews gathered together to celebrate Passover, to celebrate the fact that 1,500 years earlier, God told them to slaughter a lamb and that the blood of that lamb would save them from death. But Jesus is saying, from this moment forward, everything changes. Now we celebrate a new lamb. We're going to celebrate what John the Baptist said about me when he first saw me, when he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The evening came to a close. After dinner, Jesus was finally betrayed by Judas. He was arrested. He was given a sham trial. And the next day, they nailed him to a cross where his body, like that bread, was broken for you. Where his blood, like that wine as he predicted, was poured out for you. The Lamb of God had been slaughtered. And his death ushered in a new covenant. The final covenant. The everlasting covenant. But this time, it would not be between him and the Jewish nation. It would be with the entire world. The covenant according to Jesus, with the Jews, was now complete. The new covenant opened the way for you and for me and for the entire world to have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ and his death on that cross. And it's because of what took place that fateful night in that upper room that today we're going to celebrate communion. Where Jews once celebrated God rescuing them from slavery to Egyptians, we now celebrate Jesus rescuing us from slavery to sin and death. Communion is a time when we come together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is Lord. That thousands and thousands of years ago, God made a promise to redeem this world, and he did so through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, who took on human form, who lived amongst us, who loved us, who felt our pain, who taught us to love, who taught us to live, and then he died on that cross so that we could be free from the power of sin. Now, maybe you're here today, right, and, and you're kind of wondering, okay, well, who should take communion, right? It's like, I, this is my first time here. This is, I've just, this is my first time ever in a church. Maybe you grabbed a communion cup on the way in, and now you're like, oh boy, what did I get myself into? <laughs> like, I did not, am I supposed to take this? What do we, you know? Let me just say this. The message of Jesus, known as the gospel, the message of Jesus is for everyone. Downtown Harbor Church is for everyone. But according to Scripture, communion is not for everyone. Paul, this guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, was writing a letter one day to a church teaching them how to do communion, a brand new kind of thing for them. And he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, now this is interesting, maybe you grew up in a church setting where you took communion every week, maybe you took it quarterly. Paul just says, whenever you do it, for as often as you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which means communion is for the followers of Jesus. By taking communion, according to Paul, you're actively proclaiming to yourself to those sitting around you, and to the world that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So if you're at a place right now where he's not, you haven't asked him to be 
your Lord and Savior, you're just investigating things. Great, totally fine. Sit back, relax. And, 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 and watch the people around you partake in an ancient tradition that goes back some 3,500 years. Now, for those of you in this room who are Christians, how is communion going to work? In a moment, Julie is going to come up to lead us in a song. And what I want you to do is I want you to use that time in your chair to spend time in prayer and reflection. Paul says that we're to examine ourselves. That means that we're to confess any sin that's going on in our lives, any wrongdoing, any kind of failures and things that we have going on in our life. Now, let me say this. If you didn't get a communion cup and you need one, just raise your hand and we'll have one of our folks come over to you. Uh, so we have one in the back. When you're ready, as she leads us, when you're ready, on your own time, take the wafer and eat it. And think about Jesus' body being broken for you. And then take the juice and think about Jesus' blood being poured out for your sin.